And then it by what, 1920? Yeah, I was 20. 20? You bought your parents a house. That's right. How did that happen? I'm Scott McGrew. This week on Sand Hill Road, Frederick Gross of Wellington Management. His team of black investors are searching out black founders, trying to increase the minuscule amount of venture money invested so far. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Q3. 2023 black founders raised 0.13% of total U.S. funding, not 13%, 13 one-hundredths of 1%. That's right. I knew it was low. That's astounding. Absolutely. Now, the, the data is, you know, it's, it's harsh right now. It's showcasing a huge decline in the dollars. And, you know, if you look the previous year before, in the exact same quarter, you're looking at, you know, a much more meaningful set of numbers. You know, at that point, it was 1.2%. Which is still terrible. Which is still (laughs) terrible. But, you know, certainly the trajectory is the wrong direction here. And look, it's, you know, unfortunately part of a broader macro where you're watching, you know, quote unquote, the pendulum swing back after sort of the broader attention to, you know, Black issues particularly, but also more broadly, uh, diversity issues and the access of diverse individuals into the business world. So to the point of the pendulum, let me read a couple of headlines to you. CNN, the backlash against DEI. BBC, U.S. business leaders are pushing back against years of corporate diversity efforts. Fortune, companies are buckling up for a fight over DEI. It has swung. Uh, What happened? What happened, I think, ultimately is that, you know, the broader macro got tougher, right? I think, you know, if you look at the the venture ecosystem as a whole, there's been a massive shift, right? Companies have struggled to go public. Uh, That certainly has an impact. You had interest rates go up. So that certainly impact liquidity and access to capital fundamentally in the broader ecosystem. And look, when the belt gets tightened, unfortunately, oftentimes the diversity equation part gets gets impacted even worse, right? You know, I think back, my dad used to joke that, you know, when— you know, America gets a cold, diverse communities get the flu. And I think ultimately that's what we're watching happen. You know, it was seen as a luxury by some to expand their 
filter to these other communities or as a response to some you know external event happening that people wanted to to support and step into and unfortunately we haven't seen that continue to to occur uh, as time's gone on now what I will say though is that the pendulum though isn't swinging as far back hopefully right. while the data for Q3 was certainly poor you know what keeps me excited is the fact that there are more uh, venture funds out there supporting diverse founders than ever before. There is more. There are more investors looking, uh, you know, at diverse communities than ever before. And so, I do see sort of fundamental foundations being built, and those foundations aren't uh, gone. But you know, these this data is, is still scary. Your job at Wave is to you know fund black and women and Latina owned businesses, but. You told a reporter uh, about the companies that you invest in, quote, we're big believers that the business case is their full stop. That's right. It's the full stop I want to ask you about. There's a funny moment in, in the HBO series Silicon Valley that I often go back to. And the startup has hired its first woman employee. She's an engineer. And they're very excited about the fact that she's a woman. And she says, hold on a second. Absolutely. Did you hire me because I'm a woman? I'm not. A woman engineer. I'm an engineer. Okay. No, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, of course. We want to hire the best people who happen to be women. Regardless of whether or not they are women, that part is irrelevant. Look, by no means are we implying that there's a, a difference. We're still venture capitalists doing traditional venture. You the, have a responsibility to your investors. Absolutely. And it's a non-concessionary strategy at the end of the day, right? And so from our vantage point, you know, our view is we're ultimately just hunting in different networks and ecosystems. And look, at the end of the day, venture is really driven by networks. You know, you look at where dollars have gone. You look at Sand Hill Road and Silicon Valley. You look at the academic institutions where VCs come from, a lot of the founders they're coming from, they're pulling from their own personal networks. Right. And really what we're saying is, hey, those personal networks, those haven't been intentionally diversified consistently. And you have to have intention there. You know, you look at new thematic shifts, right? Generative AI is an example, right? This is one of the, the big things that VCs are looking at today, large language models. You've seen an entire shift in terms of the focus, developing new networks to be able to source founders out of these ecosystems. Uh, you know, effort put into educate, you know, themselves on, you know, how to understand the technology, everything. Well, you've got to do the exact same sort of focus if you want to find a diverse set of founders getting access. And, you know, one of the big things we talk about is the fact that, look, if you don't have diverse investors historically in this, in the current sort of iteration of venture capital, well, then you're not going to get diverse founders, unfortunately, because people are just leveraging their personal networks. And networks themselves don't tend to remain extraordinarily diverse as people sort of age up. How do you decide what diverse is? It's a great question. You know, I, at the at the core, you know, we look at, you know, broadly uh, demographic data across the United States. And we look at, you know, how what the, what the population makeup tends to be. Uh, and we use that to understand, hey, are we seeing sort of uh, equitable dollars moving into different communities? And so diverse for us is, you know, ultimately, you know, underrepresented demographics. Right. I mean, if it's 0.13%, right. uh, that, that's a pretty a key sign. That's right. That's right. What, what level of diversity? And let's say I have uh, uh, three founders and, and one is black. That's right. So for our, from our sort of filter and the way we invest, we're just looking for a diverse individual in the founding team, right? And so that does enable us to invest in all black teams, all Latino teams, all women teams, but also teams that might have, you know, 
two to male founders and a, and a female found, co-founder, right? And you know, those mixed gender teams are actually one of probably maybe the 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 exciting kind of uh, you know data point in the broader ecosystem because when you looked at you know that Q3 data you were referring to earlier, you know mixed gender teams they actually represented 28.1 percent of all venture dollars. That's up from 18.2 percent in 22. And so you know we are seeing some in you know indicators that are exciting to see. You know we look at the broader ecosystem, the pool of founders has grown substantially. Whether you're looking at women founding companies, Latina founding companies, uh, you know, African-Americans founding companies. We're seeing large increases. And a part of that is you've seen, you know, venture capital start to build out this, you know, call it answer to what has historically been a huge impediment to diverse communities often building, which has been the pre-seed round kind of becoming a sort of fundamental part of the venture ecosystem. And what the pre-seed round really solved for is what used to be called the friends and family round, right. where you had to have wealthy individuals in your network to help you get going. Well, you were an early stage venture investor. You did not invest in a company that hadn't raised a friends and family round. Fundamentally, that infrastructure then became one where if you weren't coming or had access to wealth or ecosystems and networks that were wealthy, you weren't going to be able to even be a, you know, on the doorstep of a venture capitalist because you wouldn't be able to get the early metrics you need right. to get done. The, the financial data tells us that a white founder is more likely to have a rich uncle. There was a That's 2019 right. Fed study. White families have a median family wealth of $188,000. Black families' median wealth is $24,000. That's right. And that that's even for the emergency of, you know, I need I blew a tire and I need a new tire. Right. Uh and and imagine now trying to to start a company that's right. and you have no one in your network who can give you the money you need. That's right. And and look, you know, that's why it was very important for this pre-seed category to, you know, quote unquote institutionalize. And, you know, we've seen that happen. And in many ways, you know, what Wellington Access Ventures or as we call it Wave is is really doing is saying, hey, look, that pre-seed category as it is now is institutionalized, as you've got funds that are doing that work, is setting up a huge opportunity for us to come in at the next round and really provide founders with the growth capital they need to really build out their go-to-markets ultimately. Your investing team uh, is all black? Our investment team is all black. That's right. Okay. Would you hire a, a, a white investor? Absolutely. That, that is by no means in our view, it is no means in our view that you have to be black to be able to do the work. Now, what we do believe is that, you know, the networks you're bringing to bear are particularly helpful. Uh, and certainly, you know, you may have a more diverse network uh, coming from diverse communities. But ultimately, you know, we're looking for individuals that have a network that, you know, we believe will source great talent from and ultimately also have the skill set to evaluate those companies and ultimately provide value to those companies to help them be successful from an advice standpoint. What's a sign you've succeeded? What's a sign where you're going to walk into the office and say, all right, guys, and, and the women on your team as well, we're breaking it up. We're done. It is, it is so equal out there. We don't need an access fund. That's the dream, right? I think the, for, for us, the, the sign that we, you know, that this doesn't need to exist with the focused, you know, effort is ultimately, you know, showcasing that, you know, there are clear pathways for the community. What's to the milestone? Capital. Do you have a milestone? It's seeing access. Do we have a milestone explicitly? I mean, we have financial metrics, right? Yeah. And I'd say, you know, the milestones we think about are no different than what any other venture fund is looking at, right? So we want to have top quartile returns. And I think, you know, by driving those top quartile returns, ultimately, that will be what you know, proves that you know, we're successful and we're doing the work. 
Sand Hill Road will be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Business Insider uh, said, given your background personally, you had as much chance of becoming a venture capitalist as landing on the moon. <laughs> I think it was Troy Wolverton who said that. Do you agree with that? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. You know, I think, you know, what Troy was sort of alluding to there, you know, is sort of looking at my background, right? You know, I grew up, you know, low income, you know, grew up living in motels, you know, and, and certainly, you know, you look at, you know, someone starting there, the opportunity to get to a place like, you know, Venture, which is a, you know, very, you know, uh, unique community. Uh, and it isn't obvious that that's, that's possible. Now, what I'll say, though, that maybe, you know, makes me kind of smile against that, that statement is like, you know, going to Stanford was a huge component to me being able to have access to this ecosystem, right? It's not an accident that, you know, venture capital is filled with Stanford University graduates, right? So much of Sand Hill rents uh, from Stanford University at the end of the day, their offices, which borders the, the university at the end of the day, right? So, you know, I think that was a, a meaningful part of getting, you know, exposure access, you know, to this ecosystem. But, you know, it, these networks aren't, you know, generally exposed to the lower SES part of society. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of the work we do is built off that 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 insight in many ways, right? Great talent exists anywhere and everywhere. Now, access to opportunity, that isn't everywhere and anywhere. And so, you know, in many ways, what we think about is how do we create networks that are able to provide that access increasingly? And, you know, look, a great VC doesn't have to have all the answers, but what a great VC has to have is a network that can get to every answer ultimately. What made you have to grow up in hotels? It is a, a largely complicated, you know, uh, history, but ultimately, you know, my family, we were in an income trap, you know, we were living paycheck to paycheck and it turned out, you know, we could never save the money required for a deposit on a, on a rental home or an apartment. And so, you know, we ended up in a, in an economic trap, uh, and it was, a you know, a difficult period, certainly from an economic standpoint, but, you know, the, the thing I'll give my parents consistently is they didn't let it prevent them from, you know, promoting education and, you know, saying, hey, shoot for the stars on the off chance you miss, at least you'll hit the moon. And, you know, that philosophy, that mindset certainly has been baked in, you know, uh, myself and, you know, allows me to, I think, you know, think about venture where there are a lot of moonshots uh, attempts here. You, kids who grew up in, in low-income situations, when they try to get themselves out of it, 
it takes some time. Absolutely. It didn't take you very much time. You bought your parents a house while you were still in college. I did, yes. What, how in the world did you turn it around? I know how you did it. You worked for the Stanford uh, bookstore and, and ran the, the that system. Enterprises, that's right. Yeah, ran that system. Yep. And they paid you. Mm-hmm. So that's where the money came from. That's, that's right. mechanically how that happened. How does it happen that at 17 going off to college, you are a poor person, and then at, by what, 19, 20? Yeah, I was 20. 20? You bought your parents a house. That's right. How did that happen? Yeah, look, you know, as you, as you, you know, alluded to, you know, I had the benefit of being able to work while I was at Stanford and, you know, Stanford had phenomenal financial aid, you know, and so I had a full ride, so I didn't have to worry about that. So the capital I was making was really just sitting in a bank account. And, you know, the, the desire to work really came from not wanting to rest on my laurels. You know, I had a twin sister. I, I had, I have a twin <laughs> sister. Uh, she'll enjoy that. Uh, and, you know, she had to work, you know, she was at Ohio State. Uh, it wasn't a, a a luxury, a nice to have kind of situation. And while it was for me, the idea was how do I use this to get ahead? And you know, look, ultimately, I you know knew that the instability of you know my my parents when it came to housing that was a collective family problem. And if we didn't solve it or find ways to solve it, it was going to continue to be an issue. Uh, and this was a way to to do that. And you know, we were able to find a foreclosure in Ohio, uh, where cost of homes aren't what they are here in well, yeah, Silicon Valley. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let, and- let no one who is not in Silicon Valley be under the illusion that working, you know, even as an important person at the Stanford bookstore can allow you to buy a house in Silicon Valley. That's yes. right. No, not at all. And and look, you know, I think, you know, what what was, you know, really something that, that, that helped out in that too is that, look, minimum wage, you know, particularly, you know, at Stanford, uh, was fairly high, you know, in terms of what I could make, but I had no costs, n- no burn. Right. And so that, you know, was a perfect situation to be able to kind of help my family out fundamentally. Uh, and look, you know, t- to this day, it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of being able to have done. Uh, and we needed it, you know, we needed to have that, that, that safety net because housing, you know, if you, you have, if you don't have consistent housing that it's hard to plan on anything else, it's hard to be an entrepreneur to think about building. If you're worried about next month, where you're going to be. For those who are listening who uh, feel they would qualify as diverse um, startup and who feel they are ready for a fund like yours, what is their first step? Yeah, so so look, the first thing I always tell a founder or an entrepreneur is, you know, you've got to ask yourself, does venture capital even make sense? Right. And, and the reason I say that is venture capital is not a cheap tool. We're ultimately a financial tool to help accelerate the growth of the business by providing you capital to either, you know, accelerate your product roadmap, to hire team members, to, you know, scale up. And generally you're doing that either because you have a new technology and you want to get market share, or you've got a competitor that you're actively sort of trying to, you know, compete against fundamentally that maybe they've got more capital, maybe they're slightly ahead, but it's an expensive tool. I mean, we're going to take, you know, throughout, you know, every given institutional round of financing a, a startup's going to take, you know, you're going to expect to sell 15 to 20, maybe 30% of your business, but certainly on the lower end, 15%. Um, and so, you know, the first thing I always talk to founders is, are there better, more effective financing tools that might enable you to grow that business? Now, if you are in a scenario where venture does make sense, the first step is do the research, you know, 
get out there, start reading, you know, listen to podcasts like this, understand what's going on, understand the type of funds, understand the partners at those funds that you're ultimately going to work with, uh, and really understand what you're looking for. You know, different stage of investors, you know, are going to be better suited to you if you're, you know, uh, depending on where your business is at. If you've got a few million dollars of revenue, you may not want to go talk to a pre-seed investor that's looking for, you know, an idea and a pitch deck more or less. Uh, you know, and you've got to do that, that research ultimately to figure out, you know, who, who you want to work with. Cause it's going to be a relationship. You know, there's this, con- this framing that a lot of VCs talk about it being like a marriage, because once you've partnered with a VC, it's hard to, to back out of that partnership in different ways. And so I stress the research part. Um, but then, you know, the tactical answer to that is reach out. You know, reach out to, to me, to somebody uh, on LinkedIn, reach out over email. You know, we have a form on our website that allows people to reach out directly. We look at every single one uh, and get out there, you know, and it is going to require, you know, effort to get out there because unfortunately the ecosystem is still fairly anchored to warm introductions. Mm-hmm. And, and what that fundamentally means is someone introducing uh, a founder in that has had some level of context and could be that first filter set. Uh, and so I'm going to talk to this person because I trust uh, individ- this individual to make a, a good introduction because they have a high quality network. They've had an incredible career that's exposed them to executives or talent that, you know, should be exciting for one reason or another. Um, and those warm introductions are a, a meaningful and valuable tool, but they certainly hurt for diverse communities that may mm-hmm. not have that network mm-hmm. access, which goes back to this question of, you know, why does things like Wave exist? Why does even you know, nonprofits like Black VC exist to help sort of change the the makeup of the ecosystem and make it easier to get access. Frederick Gross, the deal lead for Wellington Access Ventures, or Wave. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.